How are we doing this morning? Okay, five of you are ready. Some of you guys aren't awake yet. That's okay. Hey, aren't you guys so thankful for good leadership? Man, Brandon did a great job just leading us into the presence of God. And man, every week, this team is, is taking time to make sure that we can, you know, just being a good host so that we can meet with God and worship Him. And uh, let's, give, let's give a hand for them. Thank you for that team. Good leadership. And that's what we need. We need, to, we need the presence of God every day. Somebody asked me recently, uh, hey, why do we stand in worship and why do we sing and why do we raise our hands and clap our hands and tons of different ways to express our worship to God, kneeling, bowing. And uh, without going too far into it, because we don't have time today to get into that, I'll just say, um, I was thinking about this again uh, when, the, when the cross was lit up during that song, was that, you know, Christ raised his hands for us. So that's the least we can do for him in worship is raise our hands. Even if it's uncomfortable, I have a bad shoulder, all those kind of things, but man, he uncomfortably raised his hands for us for many, many hours dying on the cross. And um, he's worthy. That's the simple answer is he is worthy of all of our expressions of worship. And listen, one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So welcome guests, uh, those of you guys even watching online. We're glad that you're here today. Look, you may be a Christian, you may not, you may not even be sure, but you're here. And I'm glad that you're here. And listen, today you're going to learn about the most important person ever. And if you've ever been to Sunday school, you know the answer is always Jesus. That's right. Um, and look, you, may, you might not be team Jesus yet. You might not be ready to wear the t-shirt, but maybe you just have never truly encountered God before. And I pray, I hope that you do. Over the next nine months, we're going to be diving in and we're going to be looking at what John, the gospel of John says about who Jesus is. And that's going to take us nine months. We're going to take a break in Dece uh, uh, November and December, but then we're going to jump back in January and go all the way to Easter. So buckle up. We're going to be on a ride together. This was John's purpose in writing, to introduce and establish Jesus as God who came in the flesh to accomplish our salvation from sin and death and becoming our sacrificial substitute. Let's read um, in John 20, 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So maybe this series is going to introduce Jesus for the very first time for you, and that's great. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to believe in him. I want you to love him more. And I want you to read and study your Bible. A great place to start is the Gospel of John. Really, any of the Gospels. There's four New Testament Gospels, which that word just means good news or messages. And these are biographies of Jesus' life. And the first, first three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are typically called the synoptic gospels because they see things basically the same. They're covering the same events and uh, even a lot of times in the same sequence that they happened. They're not photocopies, though. They, these are all delivered a little bit differently because they are different perspectives. Different men wrote these 
and they have some unique stories. But listen, even though there's overlapping material in all the Gospels, John comes along, and his Gospel is very different. You see, the first three Gospels were written about 15 to 30 years after Jesus. John's Gospel was written some 55 to 70 years after. So even though he, had, he was aware of the three, he chose to write it from a little bit different perspective and present unique material. It's towards the end of the first century. All the apostles have been killed for preaching except for John. John ends up being the only apostle not martyred for for preaching. So um, apparently there was attempts uh, on his life, but he didn't die for his faith like the others. And as the last living apostle, he's an old man, which means he must have been a very young man when he started following Jesus along with his brother James and his fishing business partners, brothers, uh, Peter and Andrew. He was part of the inner circle, the, the three that got to witness things about Jesus that the other nine didn't, private things about Jesus that the others didn't. So John was an eyewitness, writing what he had personally witnessed with the help of the Holy Spirit guiding him and reminding him what had taken place and what he had witnessed. As the last spokesperson on earth, he was the most divine authority on earth at that time, which makes him the most important man on earth. His writings um, will be the final authoritative scriptures given to us. Besides this gospel, he writes three more letters and the book of Revelation. And in the opening chapters of John, we see Jesus being revealed, but not always recognized. You see, Matthew, Mark, or Matthew and Luke, they provide the ancestries and the birth stories. Mark jumps right into his adult ministry. But John, he starts way back to eternity to reveal Jesus like no other, Jesus' divinity. And he starts off just like this, really poetic. He says, in the beginning was the word. What does that remind you of? What other chapter in the Bible starts that way? Genesis, in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, right? So how did God create? He spoke it into existence by his word. He said, let there be, and there was. His word was the expression of his mind and will, but at the same time, it was distinct from him. Before Jesus became human and was given his human name, Jesus, he already existed as God. One of the three persons of the Trinity. One God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's a mystery to understanding the Trinity. They're one, but not identical. And we know him as the second person in the Trinity, the Son, when he was made human. But prior to that, he was the Word. Jesus didn't have a beginning. He's eternal. The Apostle Paul affirms this in Colossians 1, 16-17 and verse 19. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See, Jesus was involved in creating all matter. Matter is not eternal. Only God is. And another thing is Jesus had a birthday as a human, 
Probably, I hate to burst your bubble, probably not December 25th. I mean, we don't know, right? We don't know. But the day he was conceived in Mary's womb is the day when God became fully human. But God, the son, doesn't have a birthday. He's always been. So no other religion has a leader who claims to be God. Other religions claim that Jesus is special, but not that he is God. They put him in the category of created, not creator. Mormons say Jesus was created a man who became a God. Islam says he was created a man but became a prophet. Hinduism says that he was a creature but through karma reincarnated into higher levels of enlightenment. And Jehovah's Witnesses, they say that he was created an angel who became a man. And the other thing, Jehovah's Witnesses actually, they, did, they went a step further than that. They actually wrote their own version of the Bible back in 1950 called the New World Translation, which changes what John 1.1 says and ultimately what John 1.1 means. They say it like this, in the beginning was a God, uh, in the beginning, the word was, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. Not God, but a God. <laughs> That's not a correct translation any way you slice it. Grammatically or contextually, see the Greek, there's not an A in the Greek text. They inserted it to enforce their own ideas in, into the text, which is not a, another version of the Bible or translation. That is a perversion. They added it. If you don't have a fully divine Jesus, then you don't have Christianity. You have a cult teaching heresy. And Jesus is not a God. He is the only God, uncreated, who made everything. So what does it mean when we say Jesus, when it says Jesus is the word? This is a really loaded theological term. And I'm going to try to break it down for you. It's the Greek word logos which would have been a familiar term with both Jewish and Greek readers. The majority of people knew Greek. John doesn't try to explain it, by the way. He just affirms it. He just says it. Um, but I'm going to try to explain it a little bit further. Jewish people would have understood the power of God's word, his authority, his revelation when he accomplishes his will. To the Greeks, though, the word logos held a philosophical meaning. It meant the expression of thought, speech, and reason. It's probably why you can hear the word logic in that word. Greeks tried to understand and find God and meaning through philosophy. Logos was the essence of the study of philosophy. It's hard to describe, and people have been debating it for centuries, but it's divine mind, reason, principle, or force with rational thought that gave order to the universe. It could be kind of a mediating, like kind of a bridge uh, between the natural and supernatural, which is kind of what John was getting at when he used the word logos. He was literally saying Jesus is the revelation of God. He is logos. He is the bridge between man and God. And you won't find it in philosophy or mythology he obliterates Greek philosophy and he says Jesus is the answer. The answer is Jesus. He's the divine and he's not a, a force or a principle. He's a person. He's the word and the word is personal. He is God himself. 
He's the bridge, the mediator between man and God, both natural and supernatural. Jesus reveals God as he accomplishes his will. His will. His will. Um, that's a little bit of the southern coming out of me right there. So John takes all of the Hebrew theology, speculation and morality, and he says it all points to Jesus. And if you understand Jesus, he fulfills it all. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So Jesus is the fullest and final revelation. There will be no other. It's not like there's going to be another Muhammad or uh, Joseph Smith or TV preacher. Nobody else. There's no more revelation other than Jesus and the word that he brought through his prophets and his apostles and by his own lips. Continuing to read here, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We know he's the creator, right? We just read that. He created all things. All things were created by him and for him. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He reveals God in human form. And he upholds the universe by what? The word of his power. See, the word of God is powerful. You can't reason your way to God. The only way we can know about God is what he, he reveals to us. Jesus doesn't take the place of the written word. He is the word. He's the source of it. He gives us the scripture so that we can know about him and his will and our desperate situation because of sin and his plan for our salvation through the work of Jesus on the cross. The words of his apostles and prophets are just as much his words, right? His words are the words of God. His works are the works of God. God revealed himself in words that we can understand, but still very intelligible Look at what Isaiah 55, 11 says. My word that goes out from my mouth shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is going to do what God wants it to do. It's active and effective. The only perfect thing today on earth. So that's why it's vital that, vital that you know it, that you read it, that you obey it. It is true and right. And when you go against it, you're wrong. Mic drop, pause, hold on. I know that's offensive, but you're wrong. If you go against it, you're just wrong. Because it reveals. And, and look, everybody, nobody likes, nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. Nobody likes to know that I was wrong. And the world hates it because it reveals, it reveals what's right and wrong, what's true and false, our disbelief, our disobedience, our sin. It's like a mirror. And when you look into a mirror and you, and you don't measure up with perfection, right? You got broccoli in your teeth and your friends didn't tell you about it, right? You're looking in that mirror and it's like, oh man, it just, and every day, you, you never really measure up to whatever the standard of beauty or perfection is. And the word of God is, is like a mirror. And when you look into it and you realize, man, I do not measure up to who Jesus is, you have an option. You can either accept it 
and accept that his grace is sufficient for you and that he's got that part covered because he knows that you're imperfect or you can deny it or you can twist it, which was what some people try to do, twist it and make it fit into somehow their perversion of perfection and they make Jesus and God fit into their idea of God. The world is full of darkness and death. Jesus is the light that brings life. Darkness hates light because of what it exposes. Sin plunges us into darkness of mind, clouded thinking. You, you look around at the world and all of its so-called morals that are ever-shifting and changing and upside-down beliefs and morality, and you wonder how people could think this way. And the truth is, this is nothing new. Long ago, Isaiah wrote this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those people. See, the world rejects his objective truth. They prefer their own subjective ideas. Have you ever heard somebody say, what's true for you might not be true for me? And they, they want it to be whatever they want it to be. They, whatever I identify as, whatever I'm thinking or feeling today is right. Common sense used to be common because for the most part, society, our society, used to accept that there's a truth and they accepted the consequences if I reject it. Today, man, people are so blinded and so full of delusion that they don't even know if there's truth out there anymore. We've come so far and it's not common anymore for people to even recognize that there is truth. They don't know if there is. They wouldn't even know the truth if it hit them in the face. I could say something else there, right? But they wouldn't even know if it hit them in the face. And look, Paul explains it like this. In their case, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Many people like and admire Jesus, right? They've heard that he's a good guy. They've heard that he's a wise man. And they think all these things and they've, they've sort, even if they don't believe that he's God, they've sort of like from a distance say, yeah, cool, Jesus. Until they find out that some of the things he said actually contradicts them and goes against what they think. They may know the highlights and the memes. Of, oh, it's a, he's a loving God. Oh, he's a, you know, no judgment. You're not supposed to judge, right? Because Jesus doesn't, wait a minute. <laughs> You're supposed to serve people. They know the highlights. But Jesus says some tough things. He, he really, he says some things about judgment and sin and death that you can't escape when you read it. He opens our eyes to the truth, just like the song that we sang a little bit ago. You open my eyes to see you, Lord. Oh, I was blind to love before. You open my heart to know the truth. Now all I see is you. All I need is you. In a world that's blindly looking and searching for a God or the truth, Jesus says, look, here I am. You can only know so much about God through natural revelation, from what we see in creation and what we sense intuitively in our conscience. You need his special revelation. You need Jesus, the word. What he speaks in his word to know the full truth, you need it. Jesus flips on a switch, 
opens your eyes, lets you see clearly for the first time that he is the way, the truth, the life. And we've been given that measure of light. We, we know the truth. We've been given the scripture. We're not some remote tribe who only has a certain level of that understanding and light. So we, we need this. We have it. Dust off your book. Open it up. Read it. You need it. Hey, that's a freebie right there. Put that in your pocket. We need it, so read it, okay? Light also brings life. Think about this. You plant a seed. What does it need to grow? Light, right? What came first? When Jesus spoke, when he, cre- or when, when he created the whole universe, he said, let there be light. After that, he said, let there be life, right? He created living creatures because they needed light to live, okay? So um, the world is full of death because it remains in the dark. Dead religions, dead works, dead habits, um, destructive habits, Jesus is full of life. He brings that life. His word, the word, is the thing that will make your paths clear to God. We all know this verse in Psalm. Most of us have heard it or know it. Your word is a lamp to my feet and, I want to, and a light to my path. But I want to read a little bit further because the psalmist says it beautifully. He says, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your way, from your laws for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. You see, John then goes on to mention another one who's pointing to the light, John the Baptist. He was a relative of Jesus, probably a cousin, maybe a little bit, a few months older. And John got his nickname because he was going around baptizing people for repentance, getting them ready. Ready for what? Ready for who? Right? His whole mission was to point to Jesus as the Messiah. And God actually, or Jesus actually came way before John, even though John was a few months older than him. Why? Because he has always been, right? Jesus doesn't have a birthday. He was like the warm-up band for the main attraction. He was like a light in the darkness pointing to the light. When you point to people too, you're like a light pointing to the light. And it's like, it's like when me and my wife went on a, a camping trip on our honeymoon. We went up in the mountain, Appalachian Mountains. We were camping with a new tent to us. We got it as a gift for our wedding. And uh, we were setting it up in the dark. And uh, if you've ever tried to set up a tent in the dark, especially one, a tent that was broken, um, half of our tent was broken and sagging. And uh, I gave my wife the flashlight, first mistake right there. No, <laughs> but she was trying to shine it on. I was like, you need to shine it on the area that I'm working so I can see what I'm doing. And it, you know what happened, right? What was that noise? What, what, what was that noise, right? Distractions, right? Distractions. And look, it's, it's really important that God's word for yourself, don't give your flashlight to somebody else. Don't expect somebody else to do it for you. It's mainly, main purpose is for you to light up your path. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, unto my path right? It's also useful. Maybe if you stay on the path, maybe if you light up your path so bright, maybe you can shine it for some other people too 
because it is useful for that. But its main purpose is for you to make sure that you stay on the path. People respected John and the way that he spoke up for righteousness and against corruption. John became a true witness because the word martyr actually comes from the same word as witness. He spoke against King Herod's adulterous, incestuous relationship, which got him beheaded. See, John the Baptist tried to get the Jewish nation ready to receive their Messiah. But tragically, Jesus came to his own. He came to his created, and we rejected him. The Jews had been looking for him to show up for centuries. And then when he showed up, they were like, is this it? This can't, you got to be kidding me. This is not what we're expecting. This cannot be him. Jesus says this in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He makes the invisible God visible. God was born physically to become flesh. That's the incarnation. And amazingly, the Logos lived among us. He revealed himself through his glory, though his glory was veiled, like a tent. A tent has veils around it. You can't always see inside a tent. And that's exactly how the Old Testament sets up this idea for us about the presence of God. It was a tent, a tent of meeting called the tabernacle, and it had veils all around it. And this was to represent, this actually was the presence of God on earth the glory of God that was veiled. But the people would come, come to the tent of meeting and they would, they would come there to worship God and bring their offerings and, and to meet with God because he had allowed us access. He had made a way for us to be in his presence. Sinful man in the presence of a holy God had to, had to veil his glory or else we'd probably be dead, right? Had to veil it. What's cool now though is that once Jesus came into the earth, his glory returned. Once he became a man and, and, and came into Mary, came into Mary, he actually says this in the New Testament, I no longer will dwell in man-made tents or buildings anymore. Why? Because he came to live in us. He wasn't going to live, he, you didn't have to go to a veiled tent anymore. His glory would actually live in us. From now on for sure at first Mary but then ultimately in all of us and we're called to be the witnesses of God ambassadors to testify to the truth to declare the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light and to lead people to Jesus and some will reject him but some will receive him let's read this big idea all together recognize Jesus as God and receive him to become a child of God being born again not not by a natural birth but supernatural not a physical one but a spiritual one he was full of grace and truth just like light and life this is another great pairing of these two things together because we need truth and grace to be made right with God because why because Moses brought the law, the commandments, which was good, but it could never bring life. It could only condemn us because we, can't, we couldn't keep the commandments. We couldn't keep God's commands. And he knew that the law could never save us, but the law was meant to point to Jesus. Jesus brings grace because his death pays for our sins. 
He kept the law and he earned the right to be our substitute. It's not by our efforts. We, we cannot earn salvation. You cannot earn a single day in heaven. Jesus later says this, and we sang these very words earlier in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's the truth. People don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear that there's conditions. I mean, people get offended by this that God has conditions in order to get to heaven. No, man, everybody's going to heaven. God's love is unconditional. That is true. God's love is unconditional. Did you know that there's nothing you can do or not do to earn more or less of God's love? It's unconditional. He loves you to the fullest. He died for you. You can't do anything about that, less or more. But there is conditions to get to heaven. There is conditions for acceptance. There is conditions for his presence. For now and for eternity, it's Jesus. You cannot get to the Father except through Jesus. And I know some of you are probably going to find me out in the hallway later and be like, hey, that offended me. You know, that's okay. I'm okay. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. So look, truth is not just a solution to a problem or an answer to a question. It's a person. He's the answer to every philosophy, every theology, religion, perspective. He cuts through all the speculation right to the bottom line. He is the logos, the light, the source of life. How foolish to reject him. Foolish. You need light and life. You need grace and truth. It's all found in Jesus, and there's no riding the fence on this issue. He's either God or he's not. He's the only begotten son of God. We become his children by faith. Jesus is the one, the only divine Lord. Put your faith in him today. Be baptized today. Repent of your sin today. Just like John the Baptist was saying, hey, people get ready. Jesus is coming. Be baptized. Repent of your sins. That's what we're called to do today is is continue to go preach that good news that, hey, Jesus is coming and he has made a way for you. He's made a way for you to be in his presence now and for eternity. So repent, be baptized, put your faith in Jesus. And right now is our time to respond. So I want to encourage you text or email to the number or the email on the screen right now. And while the music plays over the next few minutes, if you want to take that step, forward and and talk with one of my friends that are going to be up here at the front they can help you make the best decision ever they can help you if you want to get baptized today they can answer your questions even tough questions we're ready for that that's why we're here today maybe you need to take your next step today and maybe that's just step number two is come back next week and I hope that you do and I hope that you come along this ride over the next nine months in the book of John invite your friends invite your family um and uh, we'll go on this ride together. So listen, right now we're going to take communion. And uh, for those of you guys who are Christians, this is your time. Um, nobody can take communion for you. This is your time to meet with God and make sure that you are in communion with God. To fellowship with him, even if that means fellowship in his sufferings. To make sure that you are unified. Communion with God. So make sure that there's nothing standing in the way of your relationship with God today. 
That means even after you walk out these doors, that you are remaining in his presence, that you are relying on him every day for strength, for truth, for guidance. So that's what communion is all about. Let's remember what Jesus did and remember the power of his sacrifice and his mission and the power of his resurrection for us to be able to walk out these doors and live every day, every moment of every day with a power from a different world. We're called to be those ambassadors, to walk with authority in this world from, with a, an authority from a different world, from a different ruler. We have that power in this room today. And I encourage those of you guys who maybe aren't Christians today, you're still seeking, take this time as a moment of silence to reflect or maybe even pray. Call out to God. If you call out to him, I guarantee he's going to answer. Take that time today. Let's pray. We praise you, Lord God, our creator, our light in life, the source of truth and grace. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in nature, in our conscience. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word, most of all, in the person of Jesus. You did that so that we could have life by believing. And I pray for those right now who need to receive you. I pray that they'll make the best decisions of their life and become your children. Open their eyes, lift the fog from their minds. I pray that we'd all receive your grace upon grace your blessing upon blessing from your kindness and your favor. As we read the scriptures and imitate Jesus, that we would gain every virtue of Jesus' divine character. I pray this in your precious son's name. In Jesus' name, amen.